Well, praise God, it is so good to see all of you here on a, on a rainy Sunday morning. Uh, thank God it's warm in here, amen? And uh, we have the encouragement and of, of the brethren, we have the opportunity to gather as the church. Can we get a little more light in the house? Because we're going to jump into the Word today. I want to encourage you to pull your Bibles out. Uh, yeah, we're going to jump right into it, and then at the end of the service, we're going to have more of an extended time of worship uh, around the communion table as uh, we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. But if you have your Bible open in Romans chapter 11, we're going to finish off really uh, chapter 11, well, for the most part today. And then uh, for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the prophecies of the coming of Jesus during the Advent season. Uh, And then for the new year, we're going to dive into what is really the last part of the book of Romans, the last section of Romans where Paul talks about the will of God for the life of the believer. And, and I know this, the chapters 12 through 16 are, are not only going to be challenging chapters, but they're going to be uh, incredibly practical for us. And so uh, as we jump into that, that section in the new year, encourage you, don't miss it, okay? I also want to encourage you this way. Uh, I, I know that Christmas and New Year season can be incredibly busy. I know you've got a lot of things you can do and you're running around and getting things done. But I would tell you this, don't sacrifice this time on Sunday morning to get things done, okay? Uh, Because as I said before, if you take Christ out of Christmas, it it really becomes a very shallow, (laughs) hollow holiday, amen? And so let's gather together week after week through Advent, um, and let's let's, uh, remember the things the Lord has done. All right, and so uh, as we talk over the, the next three weeks about the coming of Christ, we're going to prepare our hearts to celebrate because uh, this year Christmas Eve is a Sunday, okay? So Sunday morning, Christmas Eve, we're going to gather together. I believe it's going to be a very special time, amen? So just a reminder where we are in Romans chapter 11. Uh, two weeks ago, we saw that Paul was addressing the, the place of Israel in salvation history. You know, there are many different ideas, even within the church today, of just what our relationship with Israel or with the Jewish people should be. You know, there are some Christians that say, well, the church has replaced the Jews now as the chosen people of God. It's what's known as a replacement theology. But I believe what you'll see as we continue in this chapter is that despite all of Israel's faults, she has never been less than God's chosen means of bringing blessing to the world. And so when we look at everything else that God has chosen to do, I think we need to see it in that context, because the reality is that the purposes of God in salvation were revealed, first of all, to God's chosen people. His son was, according to the flesh, a member of the Jewish people, right? However, Paul had previously explained that Jews are not simply those who are of the bloodline of Abraham, right? From God's perspective, a Jew is one whose heart has been changed by God. It was back in chapter two, a long time ago, right? Verse 28, Paul wrote, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is the matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. In his letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul describes the the children of faith as being both Jew and Gentile, And, and their commonality now is the fact that they've called on the name of the Lord, which means they've trusted God's mercy and his grace rather than their own works. And so in our text two weeks ago, we remember Paul referred to the Jews that received the message of the gospel regarding the life of Jesus Christ. He called them the remnants. 
And that remnant was, was foreshadowed throughout Israel's history because all through their history, the, the majority rarely put their faith in God, and yet there was always a remnant of true believers. But now Paul realizes that his calling is to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He knows his, his uh, ministry is primarily to the Gentiles, and he rejoices in this because he knows that the Gentiles that he is discipling have an intimacy with God through Jesus Christ that made his fellow Jews jealous. And it was that jealousy that caused many of them to accept Jesus as Messiah. Paul's gonna go on later in, in chapter 11 to talk about the future conversion of Israel, but before he gets there, he's gonna give us this analogy that I just wanna focus on this morning, and it's the analogy of an olive tree and its branches. It's an illustration, really, to help Jews and Gentiles understand their relationship. If you're there, Romans 11, verse 17, he writes this, but if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Just outside of Jerusalem, there is a mountain that is known as the Mount of Olives. It is a place where, where Jesus would often go to pray with his disciples. And, and on the Mount of Olives, olives are not only harvested, but they were also crushed to make oil that was used as an anointing oil in the temple. It was also used uh, in the oil lamps of the temple. You know, if you travel through the land of Israel, we've done that many times as a church, you're going to see olive trees everywhere. It's why if you look at the emblem of Israel, you'll notice there are two olive trees or olive branches in the symbols. And when we talk about symbolism in the spiritual context, there are many things that we can look at in regards to the olive tree. First of all, the name of the olive tree means tree of oil. It comes from the root, which means to shine. Again, I've been to Israel a number of different times, and we've had the opportunity to walk through the Mount of Olives, and as you look at the olive trees in the Mount of Olives, I've got to tell you, they're not very impressive. They don't look like the redwoods or the sequoias that you, you see out west. They can really only grow to a height of about 15, maybe 20 feet, and, and as the trees grow, they become all twisted and, and gnarled. They have all these knots, right? Like the older the trees get, they kind of take this strange form. But many of those trees on the Mount of Olives have been around for well over a thousand years. It's believed that some of them were producing fruit even in the time of Christ, and they're still producing olives today. It's believed that some of the root systems are over 2,000 years old. Why? Because it's really hard to kill an olive tree. Olive trees have been cut down. There's even times when they've been burned, and yet the roots keep growing, and a new tree can come up in the place of an old tree. Now, that's important to understand when we look at Paul's illustration. So, trivia question for you, all right? Participation time. When was the olive tree first mentioned in the Bible? Does anyone know? Genesis, all right? The story of what? The flood, right? The story of the flood, right? There was an olive branch that was brought back to, to the ark, right? Um, and the olive branch was assigned to Noah what? that it was safe to leave the ark. Just think about that. With everything that was destroyed during the flood, the olive tree managed not only to survive the flood, but it was thriving and it was growing as soon as the water receded. And it's because of this, this picture from Genesis, again, that the olive branch has often been used as a symbol of peace throughout the entire world. Even today, if you take a look at a dollar bill, if you have a dollar bill, take one out. You can keep it out for the offering later, all right? Take, take it out. 
But on the dollar bill, if you look on the one side, there is the seal of the United States of America. You know what that is? It's the eagle, right, with the wings spread. Now, if you have a dollar or, or you know this, what is the eagle holding in its right talon? An olive branch. It's an olive branch with 13 leaves, and if you, I had to take a picture of it and zoom in to see, there were actually 13 olives on those branches. Um, but the symbolism of this is that America is a nation that was created by 13 colonies, and each of those 13 colonies, which became states, have a desire for peace. We know this, that our greatest hope as a nation is when the world is at peace, right? Uh, unfortunately, there are many in power so often that don't want peace. They, they profit off of war, right? Now, what does the eagle have in its left talon? Arrows. I heard it over there, right? Arrows. And those arrows are to let the world know that we will fight when necessary to ensure peace. Now, which side is the head of the eagle facing? It's facing towards the olive branch. Very interesting fact, I just learned this this week, that on official government documents, when they are printed, the head of the eagle is facing toward the olive branch in times of peace and towards the arrows in times of war. It, it doesn't change on our currency, but it changes on government documents. But getting back to the olive tree, we, we know this, that the olive tree is important for one thing, for the olives that it produces. Olives are a good source of food. How many of you like a good olive bar? A little tapenade, right? It's good stuff, right? But we also know this, that, that they produce oil that can be used for many different purposes. Uh, I shared on Tuesday night when I talked about the miracle of the oil for the widow in 2 Kings chapter 4, oil can be used to cook with, it, it can be used for anointing, it can be used as a moisturizer, no bath and body works, you just got oil, right? Rub it in. It, it can be a, a bright light when it is burnt. Now, olives are generally harvested, at least in ancient times, one way, by shaking the tree. When the, the fruit was ripe, they would shake the tree and the olives would fall. And when you couldn't shake the tree enough, sometimes you would take out a stick or a long pole and you would beat the branches to make the olives fall. The Bible references this in Deuteronomy 24, 20. It says, when you beat your olive trees, you read that and you're like, why would you beat the trees? Like, what kind of sick person are you, right? Beating your trees. But this is why. They're trying to harvest, right? When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. So even though there are olives still on the branches, you stop beating those branches, right? And, and you leave what's there for those that are in need. In other words, you don't hoard everything for yourself. You live life open-handedly. Olive trees, though, really need to be tended and cultivated in order to produce fruit. You can find olive trees, it's amazing, out in the wild, but really their fruit is small and it, it doesn't have much value. And so in order to be productive, the olive tree oftentimes needs to be grafted. And in the grafting process, what the farmer would do is he would take a good olive branch, one that is producing fruit, and he would graft that branch into a wild olive tree. And that good branch would make the wild olive tree now productive. In reality, you're simply using the well-developed root system of the wild olive tree to support a good branch. And when you do that, the tree becomes fruitful because eventually the good branches take over and the wild branches begin to die. And so that's the way that a farmer would make a wild olive tree productive. But Paul is gonna tell us that God's spiritual grafting is the opposite. In, in God's grafting process, he takes a wild olive branch 
and he grafts it into a good tree. He takes what is wild, he takes what is unproductive, and he makes it productive by grafting it into the the deep roots of a, a really good olive tree. In the spiritual sense, we know that when God looked upon mankind after the fall in the garden, all he could see was a a bunch of wild olive trees. And so God chose to create his own good olive tree. God chose a man as his seed, a man by the name of Abraham. Uh, He was a a man of faith, and he made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. And, And when he did that, God planted the first good spiritual olive tree. But here's what's interesting. If you want to become an olive farmer, you can't do that here. You'd have to move somewhere warmer. But know this. It takes between 10 and 20 years for an olive tree to produce a proper harvest of olives. 10 to 20 years. And so the question then became, well, how do you get around that waiting period? Well, you graft some fruitful branches into older root systems that are already developed. And so God plants this olive tree, if you will, in Abraham, and it takes some time to grow. It takes time for the roots to grow down and and to produce, and so God plants this olive tree. Of course, Abraham tried to take matters into his own hands, and he had a child with Sarah's maidservant. She bore a son named Ishmael. Ishmael becomes a wild olive tree, but then Isaac was born, and that good or cultivated olive tree begins to grow. From Isaac came Jacob and Esau. From Jacob came 12 sons and a daughter. And of course, those 12 sons, the good olive tree began to produce even more fruit. We have the birth of the nation of Israel. Israel was God's chosen people, really God's perfect olive tree. God's blessing came to Israel and Israel bore fruit. You know, when we talk about God's blessing to Abraham, we need to understand there are two parts that were promised. What is often known as the top line blessing and bottom line blessing. Top line is, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and I'm going to make your name great. How many of us love top line blessing, right? Come on, let's be honest. Bless me, make my name great. But what Abraham's descendants missed is what we often miss, right, is the bottom line blessing, and I'm going to make you a blessing. I'm going to bless you in order to bless the nations of the world. And so all throughout the Old Testament, as you read it, you see this clear distinction made, right, between those who are part of Israel and those who are not. There are the circumcised and there are the uncircumcised. There are the Jews and there are the Gentiles. But what you need to understand is that at some point, everyone who was not born of the seed of Abraham was separated from the covenant of God that he had with Israel. They were all wild olive trees. Remember, it was only the nation of Israel that was God's chosen people. They alone were the ones that were given the promises of the covenant with Abraham. No Gentile was included in that covenant. But now, through the new covenant, under Jesus Christ, you and I can be a part of those promises. Amen? When we're grafted in by the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, now the good olive tree is is more than just the nation of Israel, but yet the roots were established in the God of Israel. He is the one who provides everything, hear me, everything needed for the tree to produce fruit. The wild olive trees are the Gentiles who are disconnected from God and who are blinded to the truth, who are not producing fruit. But now what Paul is saying is that because of their unbelief, the majority of the Jews rejected Christ as their Messiah. It it, it seems to be that fact even today that the majority of the Jewish people have rejected Christ as their Messiah, and yet we know this, there is a remnant, amen? 
And so because of this rejection, Christ, because of the rejection of Christ, because they failed to produce the fruit that God desires, those branches began to wither and die. But if all the good branches, all the ones producing fruit die, then the tree will become a wild olive tree. And so what will God do to restore the ability of this good olive tree to bear fruit? Well, first of all, God breaks off some of the branches. He breaks off the branches of the rebellious Jews because of their unbelief. Again, they're not bearing fruit, but the tree doesn't die. The tree doesn't die because the root system is still there. God's promises, his covenant does not die. God is true to his word, hear me today, no matter what mankind does. And so what does God do? He takes branches off a wild olive tree now. Remember Ishmael, the wild olive tree. He takes branches. He takes people off the wild olive tree, and he grafts them into the roots of the good olive tree. He, he does this by sending Jesus Christ, his only son, to die on a tree. Just like the olives on the Mount of Olives were crushed, you know, Jesus was crushed. He, he died on a tree, He was buried, but praise God, he rose again to new life. And now this new covenant in Christ's blood allows us, many of us, we are wild branches to be grafted into the good olive tree that was already there. This is how the church was born. Gentiles became a part of the good olive tree, and the planting of the Lord begins to produce the fruit that God desires. And the church begins to spread the gospel throughout the whole world. Again, top line, bottom line blessing. They understand we've been blessed to bless others. And so now we, by faith, have become a part of the good olive tree. But hear me today. We are grafted in, and we are joined into that root only by the grace of God. And so there are some words of caution that I want to point out to you in our text today because Paul uh, gives us these words of caution, things that we need to watch out for, things that we need to be careful for. And and the first word of caution is right there in verse 18. He says, do not be arrogant towards the branches. In other words, the branches that were broken off. neighbors this week and they were explaining some of the religious rituals in the neighborhood that I, I now live in and they said, you know, it's a, it's a religious thing. And I said, well, I kind of understand that. We have the same root, right? You see, for both Jewish and Gentile believers in Jesus Christ, our blessing comes through the root of God's promise and his power. Our blessing does not become, come because of our own worthiness, Remember, the power of life is in the root, it's not in the branches. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches, right? Remain in me, stay attached to me, and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do no thing, right? Under the new covenant, God 
did not cut down the old olive tree and plant a new one. He didn't start all over again. Instead, he chose to graft in branches into the eternal root. Verse 20 shows us the real reason the branches were broken off, and it, it gives us a warning so that it wouldn't happen to us, right? Verse 20, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through what? Through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. The reason the original branches were broken off was unbelief. And if that's the case, then any Gentile that has now been grafted in is righteous before God by faith in Jesus Christ. And so the warning is don't be arrogant, don't think more highly of yourself, right? But also don't be complacent. Have a, have a proper fear of the Lord. You see, most of us in this room are, are wild olive branches, okay? Unless you come from a Jewish background. Most of us are wild olive branches. I know there are a couple cultivated branches in the room, right? But we cannot overlook the fact that when the natural branches of the tree refused to believe God, God had the right to remove them. And if he removed the natural branches, don't think that he will hesitate to do the same with the wild branches. What that means is there, there's no room for unbelief in our lives. There's no room for complacency, only a humble trust in Jesus Christ. And so as we continue in the faith, there, there is true evidence of a genuine faith because there is always this temptation for those who've received God's grace to become conceited and to become complacent. Well, I've already received it. I'm good. I, I got my ticket to heaven, and we become complacent. But spiritual arrogance, hear me, is always the result of false conclusion about God's dealing with us. After the Exodus, Moses warned the people of Israel not to make wrong assumptions about their own experience of grace. Deuteronomy 7, 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and, and shows you, chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand 
that he's redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Moses says, guys, don't forget, you've been chosen because of God's love. And Paul's really saying the same thing here. He's, he's warning Gentiles who've now experienced God's grace through Jesus Christ. He's saying, don't jump to any conclusions. Like the fact that you've now been chosen to receive mercy does not mean you're worthy of mercy. In fact, I would say that the opposite is true. We can only experience grace when we have a need for grace. There would be no mercy in our lives without the presence of sin. But for Gentile believers, spiritual pride, it's a foolish thing for a number of reasons. Number one, spiritual pride fails to appreciate, again, the nature of grace. We don't understand how God dealt with Israel. But secondly, if God rejected his chosen people, then we need to realize that we can be rejected too or cut off for a time too. Verse 21, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Saying, if God dealt this way with prideful Israel, then the same God will deal just as decisively with a Gentile church. If God cut off Israel because of her unbelief, how much more will he cut off an unbelieving Gentile church? The church as we know it today, honestly, is a largely Gentile church. There are some messianic congregations here and there, but the church as a whole is is mostly Gentile. And sadly, there is at present a growing percentage of these Gentile churches that reject the absolute inerrant authority of Scripture. There is a growing percentage even today that would deny the deity of Christ. But know this, judgment will come to those churches. Because if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare them. I mean, if judgment came to an apostate, unbelieving Israel, then judgment will certainly come to an apostate, woke, politically correct church that does not stand on the teaching of the word of God. And and here's what we're seeing. We're seeing that happen right now. We're seeing that happen before our eyes. The churches that are dying off and closing their doors are the apostate churches, there is a church at the same time that is growing in America, and it's a church that's established on the truth. It's a, tr- a church that does not compromise the word of God and the commands of God. Remember, Christ warned the church at Laodicea that, that unbelieving Christians would be spit out of God's mouth in disgust, and so we, we need to, hear me, we need to be careful of conceit, but we also need to be careful of complacency, and finally I would say this, we need to be careful with God's goodness. Because God has temporarily put aside Israel for unbelief, he can certainly put aside Gentiles for rebellion and pride. But look at verse 22. He says this, note then, the kindness and the severity of God. You hear those two words, they sound like opposites, right? The kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. The kindness and the severity of God. According to 1 John 4, 8, God is love. But according to Romans chapter 1, remember when you were there? God is wrath. And some ask the question, well, how can God be both of those? How can God be both of those things at the same time? Simple truth, if God did not hate evil, he wouldn't truly be love. And you cannot love good and evil at the same time. First and foremost, God loves truth. He's a God of justice and therefore he will not tolerate evil. Yet at the same time, because of his grace, hear me today, he's provided an atonement for evil for those who would repent and come to him and receive his grace. But where there is a rejection of grace and where there is an embrace of evil, God will handle that in a severe way. 
You know, some people will ask, well, can't God do anything? I mean, he's a powerful God. Can he do anything? I would say no. There are some things that God cannot do. First of all, God cannot violate his nature. And so he cannot embrace evil because he is good. He cannot lie because he is truth, right? that those who do not continue in the faith show that their faith was not real and therefore are broken off. In the same way, those who may have previously been rebellious toward the word of God but believe will be grafted in again. And, and basically Paul is saying that the Gentiles should no more presume on the grace and the goodness of God than the people of Israel. It is only by the mercies and the grace of God, it's only by obedience to his word that any one of us has a chance. Our only chance is to remain attached to the good olive tree branch, and Jesus is that branch. As Paul wrote in Philippians 2.12, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Remember, in ancient times, the olives were harvested by by, by shaking the tree and, and, and beating the branches. And, and the shaking and the beating of the olives to harvest them and extract the oil, I believe, is a type of the life of God's people. The, the shaking in this picture is of each one of us. Sometimes we, we literally need to be shaken up, right, in order to repent. Sometimes it, it, it's a beating, if you will, of God's rod of correction that gets us to let go of the things that, that keep us from bearing fruit. And the fruit that we bore at one point as wild olive trees was rotten. Okay, it, it was useless in the eyes of God. No matter how good your works are, they are filthy rags in the sight of God unless they are born of a tree that has been grafted into the family of God. Like the olives that fall from the tree, I, I believe sometimes we need to be humbled. We, we need to be broken down from our attitudes of pride and arrogance. We need God's shaking. And what that means is that we will often be led into places where we must suffer for the kingdom of God. Led into places where we will suffer for the cause of Christ. Even though it may seem hard for the moment, I want to encourage you, this is what it takes to produce the pure anointing oil. That oil that will give off the brightest light. Hear me, church, wild olive trees don't bear olives that are very good, but when you become grafted into the good olive tree, our fruit will last. That's why James writes, count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Just like the olives from the olive tree, I think there are times that you and I need to be crushed. We need to be beaten down. We need to be humbled so that we can produce good fruit for the kingdom of God. And can I just say the crushing is good for us? 
the crushing is good for us because it's the crushing that creates the oil. It's, it's the crushing that produces the anointing. It's the crushing that, that pushes us into the presence of God. It's the crushing that gives us the faith to trust God more. Again, we were once all wild olive trees. We didn't know anything about the wonderful things of God. We were strangers to the promises of God. We were strangers to the covenant and, and the blessings of God. We produced olives, but the olives that we produced, they were bitter fruits. They were olives that were produced out of a life of sin and darkness, but thank God today that when we accepted Jesus Christ, we are wild olive trees no more, amen? Now we are grafted into the good tree. Some have said that we are are spiritual Jews, and I I guess that's okay, but I want to say it's more than that because we are now partakers of the same promises, but the greater covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are heirs of the promises of the Messiah, the the Son of God. We are joint heirs today with Christ. And we need to understand that we're connected to that same root system that Israel had through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and so many more, all the way through to Jesus Christ himself. You know, one thing I found so interesting, I was studying a lot about olive trees this week, is that they grow and they thrive in the worst kind of ground. Like if you take an olive tree and you say, I'm gonna prepare the ground just right and you plant it in some good fertile soil, if you fertilize it and you water it and you, you give it extra care, it will never produce much fruit. In soft ground, olive trees, they, they become much It would seem that their, their fruit almost requires adversity to, to really produce. But keeping that in mind, from the time the olive tree is planted until it bears fruit, it can be, again, 15 to 20 years. That requires a lot of work. It requires a, a lot of patience on those who are tending the trees. And, and so as we come to the communion table in just a few moments, I don't want you to miss the lessons of the olive tree. Write these down. Number one is this, in adversity, our faith is grown. In adversity, our faith is grown, right? Man, it's, it's in the hard times, you know this, that, that we learn to trust God. It's in the dry times when it seems like there, there's little water spiritually that we learn to appreciate more that, that which God gives and we learn from it. Through great adversity, we will be a light for Christ in a dark world. Through much tribulation, we will be made overcomers and God will be magnified by our obedience to his call. And so church, I just wanna encourage us, especially this Advent season, let's learn to serve the Lord with patience. Let's have, have a lot of patience with, with other Christians who are, are still growing too, right? Because for most of us, it, it takes time. It's a, it's a whole lot of growing. It's a constant time of learning and changing. I don't know why, but some Christians seem to grow a lot faster than I do and they bear more fruit. They produce fruit quicker, and for reasons known only to the root, some have to face a lot more adversity, take a whole lot more time growing and changing before their light shines. And so as we prepare for the communion table, I have just a a few questions for you to consider.
Number one is this. Are you certain today that you're grafted into the so dim that that you have to light a match even to see if it's there. If you're a part of the good olive tree, I want to tell you today, thank God for it. If you're a part of the good olive tree, then let the Spirit use you to produce much fruit. If you're a part of the tree and and the fruits of your life, they're, they're not yet plentiful, I want to encourage you, don't give up. You may still be in the early stages of growing and learning, and I believe this. If you continue on, the day will come, if you just keep growing, that your light will shine just as bright as anyone else. Who knows what God has in store for your life? Yet another question to consider is this. If you are connected, if you are grafted in through Jesus Christ, are you standing firm with him? Because let's be honest this morning. It's so easy to allow the things of this world to begin to draw us in another direction. It's easy to allow other things to ruin your connection with the good olive tree. And then you begin to look like a wild olive tree again. Let's be careful, church, lest we become too complacent. If God cut off the branches of his chosen olive tree in the nation of Israel, never let us get so proud to think that we can't be cut off as well. Would you stand with me this morning? as we prepare for communion and we understand that we've been grafted in, that's what communion is all about. It's about this new covenant by which we are grafted in. And so as we prepare our hearts for communion today, I wanna encourage you, be thankful. Be thankful that you were chosen and you were grafted in. We've been grafted in so that we will bear the kind of fruit that God can use. We're now grafted into the family of God. We've become children of God. We are to be the planting of God his good olive trees producing fruit that will shine forth brightly in the dark world to let others know about Jesus. And so let's thank him for that fact as we prepare our hearts to receive communion together. You know, communion is really, again, this beautiful reminder of the new covenant in the blood of Christ by which you and I have been grafted in. Let's prepare our hearts to receive in just a moment.